Welcome into episode 34 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined once again, it's been far too long, with my friends Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Um, Man, well, it's been one heck of a, what, 10 days 14 days, two, whatever it's been, it's been uh, quite the whirlwind. Um, while we were left kind of fending for our lives, Travis, you were just kind of soaking it up in the sun in Jamaica for your honeymoon. Uh, first off, how are you feeling? And, and most importantly, why did you even come back? Well, for one, we had to come back because they shut down the Jamaican borders. I didn't want to get stuck there. <laughs> they closed the resort, and the resort's much different than a Jamaican, like Motel 6, that I would be staying at. And... <laughs> Yeah, so greatest week of my life. Um, drank a lot more fruity drinks than I ever have, and five star, five star resort, five and a half stars even. But yeah, it it's kind of a weird time. Like we got, we were highly suggested, or highly, yeah, highly suggested to take a two week quarantine, my wife and I, because we had been out of the country and in and out of airports and all that. Yeah. Whenever we got back, they're like, yeah, you should, whenever we got back to customs, they were like, yeah, you should definitely consider taking a two-week quarantine. So that's what we're doing just to kind of help out everybody else just in case. Like, we're fine. We Like, we don't have anything. But then again, symptoms don't come up for a couple of weeks. So taking extreme precautions. Well, um, I'm glad you had a fun trip. I'm glad you got to, you know, you got the ability to kind of leave leave this madness there for a little while at least. Uh, unfortunately, you're back and and you're stuck with the the casuals like 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 all of us. Speaking of casuals, David, you've been here with, you know, just like I have stuck in your house and all that. How how have you been holding up over the last uh, last several days? And uh, are you hanging in there? Oh, yeah. No, I'm not really stuck in between my house. The timing was perfect today. I'm in between getting a haircut and going to the gym. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're a uh, chest day? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, chest and leg day. So. <laughs> oh, about your old gyms are still open down there? No. He's being facetious. <laughs> no, actually, uh, it's really weird. Um the the governor and, and the governor of Tennessee has been a lot slower uh, than the governor of Kentucky in, in getting things done. Um, in fact, I sent you guys a picture last Monday, and I was in I was in class at school, and yeah. um, uh, uh, just packed full of kids, scared to death, really. And uh, but Sunday, uh, all basic uh, midnight Sunday, all basically. Uh, you know, non-essential businesses were to close. And uh, my uh, family here, we run a gym here in town. So uh, I was in Monday there cleaning up inside, just giving it a going over, trying to clean everything down. Doors are locked, lights are off, and people are coming by reading a sign. And it's really funny. You know, you've got people shaking the doors, trying to see if they're locked. And then it was like, I couldn't believe it. It's closed. I'd come back five minutes later and read the sign again, shake it again. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I guess I don't watch the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been nuts. I think, did I see a headline or something that you guys are out till at least like April 24th or something now at the, at the yeah, minimum? Yeah, that's the suggestion, April 24th. And, you know, I, I figured, 
that was going to be the case. I think they had talked originally about coming back next week, but you know, there, there's just, you know, way too much uncertainty now. And I, I guess as we talk about, you know, being in high school, we, we start talking about some of these guys reclassing and, and, and tournaments and all this other stuff. It kind of goes hand in hand with what, you know, anybody's doing in school right now that you really, uh, the, the future is kind of uncertain and you don't know what the schedule holds. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that stuff because, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's a huge dynamic of how, you know, I think Calipari did a, you know, teleconference. Um, I think he's on a couple different ones where they asked him about recruiting. They're like, how does this change? He's like, dude, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, we're not able to, it's 100% on Skype, you know, phone calls. There's no in person recruiting, there's no games to go to. It's just, you know, how, how do you even recruit? So, uh, so as we're asking the questions, how do you? Cal Perry's trying to answer those questions on his own, too, and, and the, obviously the rest of, of college basketball and all that. So uh, with that, we are going to get into that, and we kind of made a made a decision to kind of – this isn't going to be a doom and gloom podcast. We we know that you every, every TV show you turn on, every news channel, every radio station you put on, it's all doom and gloom, coronavirus radio, coronavirus TV. We, we want to kind of get away from all that, kind of get back to what – you guys love, we want to talk 100% basketball, 100% recruiting, grad transfers, all of the, you know, the ins and outs, all the little rumblings going around the program right now. During all of this, you know, the, the, the ins and outs of everything, we wanted to be just 100% stick to sports. This is that, that if you want a stick to sports podcast, that's going to be today. We're going to go through and, and touch on the, the NBA draft decision. We're going to talk about the team as a whole, what we thought about them, and, and uh, kind of closing the, book, closing the book on that. Talk about the grad transfers. Talk about uh, you know, the, the recruiting dynamics, how it, the, the reclass talk, all of that stuff. It's, we're going to get into all that, so it's going to be a fun show. We're looking forward to it. Uh, with that, let's jump right into closing the door on the 2019-2020 season. So in the time since all this happened, uh, John Calipari has kind of used every media opportunity slash you know, going on ESPN, going on Dan Patrick's show, all that. He's basically said over and over again that this, is a na- th- this team was a national title contender, that before – um, I think before their trip down to down to Nashville for the SEC tournament, they kind of had this moment, this regrouping moment, where they kind of played with each other, you know, did did some scrimmages, and they kind of came together, and they there was this like connect this connection between the team that the coaching staff kind of looked at each other, and they were like, this this is a title team, this team is going to win it all. So I want to ask you guys, Travis, we'll start with you. Do you think? that that talk specifically from Calipari and, and kind of hyping this team up as a national title team, do you think that was more coach speak, uh, you know, kind of the the fact that nobody's ever going to be able to discredit him? I mean, there is no national champion, so why wouldn't Calipari say that he could have been one of them? Uh, do you think that was more coach, coach speak, or do you think this team legitimately had a shot to win it all? I think they definitely had a shot to win it all, but I also think that as coach speak from Cal's part, he's the king of that stuff. So, I mean – I think they definitely had a chance to win. I, I had them in his lead eight final four level team, but I think that getting Ashton Higgins back in the right mindset, uh, quickly and Maxi could pop or more players that possibly could have taken over the tournament. And then you had Nick Richards. Um, that was a viable big man option. Then you have a coach with a proven track record, making it to elite eights final four. So I think you had all the recipe there. 
Now, David, you are you know you, you're our X's and O's guy. You review film. You've you you know we've seen you on Twitter and um, you know Cats Illustrated. You've been putting out stuff nonstop about you know video replays and kind of breaking down the game film. What what did you think? You know your last your, your final impression on this team leaving the Florida game. Uh, did did you agree with Coach Cal? Did you think this was a national title team? And and if not, what did what did you think they had to do to kind of reach that point uh, through the SEC tournament and then going into the uh, in the NCAA tournament? You know, we had uh, said before we started the show that it's there's been so much going on. It seems like that Florida game was like six years ago, doesn't it? And and it's just it's like it's been forever. And I've really been trying to think, what did I think about that team? What, you know, because that was such a gamut of emotions, <clears throat> you know, to, to after the Tennessee game and to play so poorly for 30 minutes and then play the way that they did the last 10. I think the thing that we've got to remember about this team, and I think we're going to gauge it by what they could have done, you know, in the NCAA tournament is, uh, you know, what was wide open this year. I, I think Kansas was, was, the best team. I, I, I think there was a little bit of gap there, but I, I think that uh, with everybody else, you know, anybody else could have made that run at them. And let's face it, you know, Kansas, you know, like went into the tournament a couple of times where they've been the, the perceived best team. You know, I remember two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and teams were able to get them in half court Purdue, uh, you know, they blew Purdue out and then they played Oregon the next game. <clears throat> Oregon was a, it's kind of like this year. If you'll remember, that Final Four was, you know, you had Oregon, South Carolina, you know, teams came out of nowhere. And, and uh, you know, Kansas kind of blew it that year. So anything could have happened. Um, I, I think it was going to be – I would like to see them come out with a, with a draw and, and just kind of see, you know, where they were seated, who was going to be in that region. I would, And I understand it's probably for – the players and all that that would be putting salt in the wounds a little bit but but for me and fans i think it would be interesting if i'm not mistaken i think joe, joe lenardi had them up at a two yep and um that's huge because you know we thought after the tennessee loss they were going to be a four yeah well what if they're a four and they get stuck in a region with, with you know kansas and they're playing that sweet 16 game that's tough yeah but it was very interesting i don't know if you noticed they uh he had them, Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke on the same region, and Jeez. man, that would have been uh, <laughs> that that would have been something else. Uh, and uh, who know, we would have loved to see, you know, Kentucky and uh, Duke playing in an Elite Eight matchup. I think Kentucky could have beat Duke. Yeah. Uh, so just if if his was accurate, then it gets tough, you know, but. I think it's definitely a sweet 16 team. And, and then, like I said, they got a good shot as anybody else. But obviously, we we know this was a team that had some flaws. It was a team that had strengths, and uh, just depending on how those play out. But most other teams were in the same boat, too. So it would have been very interesting, you know, getting in. Sweet 16 would start tomorrow. So it would be very interesting getting in uh, into uh, these games here to see what happened. The thing, well, see, a lot, of, a lot of what I thought about the potential of this team going forward in the NCAA tournament was going to hinge on how they performed in the SEC tournament, which we didn't get to see. Uh, I thought if Ashton Higgins came back in the right mindset, if he could show like some promise and there was good chemistry there, which I don't think would have been a problem, like just hitting him because he would have to play at a high level for six games in a row for Kentucky to win the championship. I think that 
he would have to win them a game or two as well. And like you said, I think that Kansas is the favorite, but I wouldn't be scared for this Kentucky team to play them other than if you get Nick Richards out of his game, there's really nobody down low <clears throat> that can really shoulder the load. But And Yudoka Azubuki is an absolute animal, and he's the type of guy that has gotten into Nick Richards' head, and he's better than a lot of the guys that had gotten into Nick Richards' head during games. But, yeah, like I said earlier, I think quickly and Maxie would have taken over the tournament. I think Keon Brooks was really turning the corner. I was really looking forward to watching him for the rest of the season. I think he's going to be – an absolute monster next year. I think he's going to have, have been starting four man. I think he's going to be take a really nice sophomore jump. But I think he would have been a key clog to this year's team as well going forward. You, you know, I think SC, you talk about the SEC tournament. I think it would have been um, Kentucky, I thought, had a tough draw in that one, the way things kind of fell. You know, Tennessee, Alabama. And I would have loved to see them had a rematch with Tennessee if, if I was 100% that. <clears throat> they were uh, going to beat them, but, you know, speaking of passing kidney stones, you talked about a little bit earlier, Jack, before we come on, you know, I would have been passing them that Friday if they had played Tennessee <laughs> in that first round. And, but, you know, that's, no matter what Tennessee's got, that's just such a hard matchup for Kentucky, the way they play, and with their physicality. And then, you know, Mississippi State, you know, they handled them pretty well in Lexington, but that was a team we were kind of afraid of, too. And, you know, they Darius Perry, you know, I mean, uh, Reggie Perry, rather, uh, you know, very physical up front. And I think we could all agree, you know, win, lose, or draw, we would love to see a third game between Kentucky and Auburn. Oh, yeah. You know, I, and I'm not one to, to go through all this, well, the, you know, kids got robbed and not being able to play and all that. I hear people say that, and it kind of bothers me because, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a pandemic. There's more important things in basketball yeah. going on. But, um, you know, I, I would have, I, I would have loved, and I said this after, you know, the first two games. Would have loved to see a, a third Kentucky Auburn game. Yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, you that last Florida game was kind of the the breakout moment for. It was like the perfect game for everybody to to kind of show what they could have done in the in both the SEC and NCAA tournaments. You had Tyrese Maxey kind of running the point, kind of finding his groove with that. You had, um, you, you know, Emmanuel Quickly being Emmanuel Quickly scoring. Nate Sestina had, you know, he had a big game. He was gaining confidence. Keon Brooks had his awesome game. Calipari went right at him. Nick Richards, like, you just go down the list. Every single player on the team contributed in their, you know, Johnny Juzang had one of arguably his best game of the season outside of that that Tennessee road game. Everybody on the team kind of had that breakthrough moment where th- we kind of got to see, okay, this is what this team could look like as a cohesive unit. If everybody kind of contributes their little tiny, uh, you know, fair share, each of them, then this team could be a, a special team that last 10 minutes of, of the game. Like, we got to see some legit play. I know Emmanuel quickly fouled out, but, like, it, it was just everybody came together, and it was that kind of that moment where you looked at them and, and how they rallied at the end and that putback. You know, it, it was just like, this is a team that could – that could do it. Like this, this is a team that can make a run. If, it, like, like Travis said, if Ashton Hagens were to come back and and you know fit right in out outside of working him in, if he just kind of seamlessly fit back in and, and the team worked worked with him as opposed to work around him, 
like this team very well could have made a, a deep run, and, and it just it's very heartbreaking to see guys like Nate Sestina, who I mean, he literally signed with Kentucky because he wanted to go on a deep tournament run, because he wanted to experience an SEC championship. You know, Tyrese Maxey was a guy that always thrived on the big stage. What what could he have done? Could he have been the next Aaron Harrison? Could he have been the next uh, Brandon Knight? Like you know, we the, all those unwritten stories. We, you know, we'll just never know. Like we, we don't know what this team was capable of. Who had the clutch gene? Who had the the big game gene? We, we'll just never know. And that's that. I think is the the toughest part of of all of it for for me. Um, but it also makes it also creates for kind of an interesting scenario for next year because now that a lot of these fringe guys didn't get that opportunity to go on a deep title, you know, a, a national championship run or win an SEC championship. It kind of creates a, you know, do they, are are the guys that are 50-50, do they decide to ultimately return for that one shining moment at the next season um, and all that? So with that, let's get into the NBA decisions and kind of how those two things kind of, you know, transition with each other almost directly. Um We'll go kind of top of the list, who we think is the most likely to leave and kind of work our way down and kind of where are we leaning with them? What, you know, if, if you had to give a percentage grade on, on the likeliness that they, that they leave, likelihood that they leave, um, we'll do that. So let's start with Nick Richards. Um, David, I want you to start with him. What is your gut on him and why do you think that he's going to, spoiler alert, go to the NBA draft? He is number 50 right now, according to uh, Jonathan Cavani. And, you know, he's kind of played himself into that. And right now, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting here reading the transcripts from John Calipari's press conference yesterday. And he, he's, he talks about how um, there's so much uncertainty that he believes the draft's going to be put back. He believes that, the, you know, Possibly the combine could be later, but there's a possibility also that they don't even have it. And he, here's the thing: we we've kind of talked in, in, in uh, text, uh, and I know in the past this deal of being able to is just a recent one of being able to declare for the draft, get feedback, and then come back. Used to once you declared, uh, you had to stay in it. Mm-hmm. And you also, you know, you, you, you couldn't look at getting feedback with an agent or any of that. Um, now, that leads to, in my opinion, guys making rash decisions, you know, that's, that's based on maybe gut feeling more than information, which is never a good thing. And uh, so that's one thing you've got to remember. Uh, I think the other thing, though, is at that 50 spot, Eric Bossy has said he thinks that fewer players are going to declare for the draft. You know, you could have a plethora of big-name college players coming back next year. Yeah. Uh, let's say at that 50 spot, so Nick's thinking, okay, can I come back to Kentucky and play my way up? Well, what if you've got 10 college players in front of him that don't, uh, don't come out and stay in college? Well, then all of a sudden he can play his way up to about 40. Now, I don't know that there's a big difference in 50 and 40 because – uh, only the first rounders, the top 30 are guaranteed money. Yeah. So that's another thing that you run into. I, I, I kind of think of, uh, that he's the one that will, uh, I, I think probably go, he's been here three years. I, I, I think he'll go on. 
but there's so much uncertainty right now. But <clears throat> if he did come back right now, to me, that would be a surprise. Yeah, I, that's kind of the same boat that that I'm in. I think he's been here three years. What is he? Twenty? Is he twenty two now? Twenty three even possibly? Um, whatever it is he's he's not getting any younger by any means. He his girlfriend is has graduated. She's leaving. And he, you know, after two years of, of no confidence, of, of, you know, just struggling to stay on the floor entirely, he, he saw that breakthrough moment. He became a superstar. He won all the, you know, all these major accolades. It's just as, as awesome as it would be. And, and yes, he could improve on some things. If you listen to John Calipari talk yesterday, he was hyping him up as an NBA player more than anybody that that he talked about, and and you know I think he went through every single player on the roster and kind of what he had you know his thoughts on them and and kind of their draft stock and and all that stuff. Nick Richards was the one guy that he said he is going to translate to the next level. He was like the way he runs the floor, the way he he defends the rim, the way he um, you know can can catch lobs and dunk and his his jump shot from from the baseline from the elbow like all, he went through the entire list and it was like this, there's there's no way this dude does not go to the NBA draft there's just there's just no way and i think he's earned i think he's earned every um every bit of that he's 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 been through a whole lot he struggled you know mentally he's um I, I, he's one guy that i'm going to be very excited to see walk across that stage you know I don't know what his draft stock is going to end up being after all this stuff whether they're going to be able to have workouts or anything but um whatever it is I'm I'm very excited for him to take that next step because he he definitely deserves that Travis do you, are you kind of in that same boat yeah I think that if you look at the grand scheme of things like you said he's 22 or 23 years old I don't know the exact age but he's still young in basketball years he's only yeah. played six or seven years if uh, I think maybe on the lower end of that spectrum he is – I don't know what else he could add to his game besides stepping out and hitting an occasional three-pointer yeah. that he would benefit from another year of college basketball showing. He's just going to get another year older, and I think that he's going to – I'm in the same boat as you guys. I think he's 90% gone, but like you all mentioned, we're in some unique times right now with uh, draft evaluation and pre-draft workouts and stuff that I, – I mean, I'm not – can speak 100 in 100% certainty on any player in the country until they declare yeah um unless you're like a guaranteed lottery pick of course but yeah i think that he he is going to be a staple for what cal is going to talk about for the foreseeable future with player development you see pj washington's two-year jump you see his three-year jump you see emmanuel quickly's two-year jump and nick i think he needs to go get his money yeah i think that He's definitely got a role in the NBA. I don't ever think he's going to be a superstar in the NBA, but I think he's going to be a eight to ten minute rotational big, like seventh or eighth on the uh, seventh, eighth, ninth in the uh, depth chart. But I think that I think that um, his college potential is probably maxed out because next year the offense isn't going to run through him as much. You got more dynamic scores on the wings than you did this year. Yeah. But yeah, outside of unless he wants to show that he can hit a three point shot, because if he Learn if he can hit a three point shot at a thirty percent clip. Like, I think if he really trains that, I think he he can be that guy. But and whenever he gets to the NBA and starts hitting at that thirty percent clip, I think he's gonna really his stocks can go through the roof. I completely Travis, agree. Go for it. Travis, let me interrupt one second. Travis made a, a good point about going ahead and getting the money, and 
I had heard this in the last day or two, and I've sat around and read so much and listened to so much and kind of run together. But I think it was Sam Bowie who said this on Oscar Combs' podcast that um, talked about guys going pro, and he says, you know, fans and people will say, well, he needs to come back, and and or, or no, he wasn't even talking about Nick Richards. He was just talking about in general when he was coming out and talks about what what you know fans will tell you come back and improve your stock. And he said, you know, with these kids, it's never about improving stock improving her draft stock, you know, that, that he thinks that's really overhyped. He said, you know, if you've got that opportunity then to come out and make money, uh, then you're going to do it. And like, you got to realize these guys, you know, even if they end up signing a certain kind of contracts or they go overseas or what, you know, you're talking about six digits. Kentucky players draw money going overseas, um, you know, because they play the Kentucky, they're going to get more. And uh, it's tax-free. So, you know, he's got the opportunity, no matter what, to, you know, finally realize the dream and, and and draw a pretty good paycheck playing basketball. Yeah. And, you know, no, I think he's, like like Travis said, I think he's going to carve out a role. I think he's going to stick around for a long time. But, yeah, he just has those tools where he's going to be able to make a ton of money doing this. And, and um, for just seeing where he came from, where – you know the the journey that he's been on, both mentally, physically, all you know, all all of that stuff. Just seeing him finally get to this point where he can have the opportunity to make that jump, and we would all support him. Like, man, it's it's just so cool to see. I'm very very excited for it. Um, next, Tyrese Maxey. Speaking of, if you're a lottery pick, you should 100% go. Um, I think the general consensus here is that Tyrese is is uh, 100% a gun. I don't want to say 100. Like like Travis said, we don't want to talk in definitive terms, but if you're if you're going to put your put put money on it, he's definitely one of those guys that, that you would put your money on to to leave. Uh, Travis, w- w- give me your thoughts on on uh, Tyrese's draft stock. I think he's definitely a lottery pick in this year's draft. I think that some people have him going lower in lottery. Some people have him going middle lottery. I don't think he's a top five pick. I think he's somewhere in the eight to twelve range. But something that did. Would you would have ever guessed that Tyrese Maxey was a worse three point shooter than Hamadou Diallo? <laughs> That's yeah. the one thing yeah. that was really baffling to me. I thought he was going to be able to at least be a thirty five percent three point shooter, and that's the only question I have about his game at the next level. And a set point on his shot, he, he shoots a little bit from his chest. Man, he'll probably have to tweak that just a little bit to the next level. But I think that you saw what he does whenever the big lights are on. He he lights up the opposition. And I think that he can score from all three levels and he's crafty. He can play some point guard in a pinch. He can be a secondary ball handler, kind of like Jamal Murray is for the Nuggets. And I think that his best years of basketball are way ahead of him. And he works with Tim Martin all the time yep. out in Texas. And that's one of my favorite trainers. Paul, he got PJ Washington playing at a high level and he's going to get Tyrese Maxey playing at a high level. So, yeah, they were they were training just just last week. They he posted a video of of Tyrese in the gym with him. So it's the it's it's in the process. It, it def I mean it, it definitely feels like Tyrese is just you know he, he is preparing for the opportunity to to put his name in the draft whenever he's going to be allowed to. I mean I know other players are, but just when I guess when some the dust settles on this a little bit, where where um, we'll get some clarity, I, I definitely think he will be one of the. Uh, one of the first to go. Um, well, space, space, NBA spacing is going to be is going to do wonders for Maxi in his game, especially he's got the he's got the pull up floater. That's a huge tool to have, and he already has that in his bag. Uh, a lot of players don't develop that until they're 
second, third year in the league working with elite trainers. He's already got that. I think that once the floor is spaced out for him, he's going to be able to have a lot more room to maneuver, and it's going to, it's going to do wonders. David, what do you think about uh, Maxie's draft stock? Um, I'm interested to see how long it takes him to um, improve that shot. And, uh, you know, Travis talked about, you know, his trainer, uh, you know, training P.J. Washington. And, you know, if you watch P.J. Washington this year any at all, uh, he'd slimmed down from last year, looked a lot leaner, looked more like a perimeter player, you know, like a big wing. Yeah. But, um, you know, in watching him – his shot, and he was a pretty good three-point shooter at Kentucky. Man, his shot just come a million miles pretty quickly. Yeah. And the only way to do it, and and I, I you know, I pointed this out early on watching Tyrese Maxey. You know, like the first time I really you know watched him at Kentucky, and I'm like, man, his shots were at least points low. And um, what happens is you can't get contested shots off. Now you can make them if you're open, but I think if your fundamentals are bad, the best you, you can ever be as far as outside shooting goes is streak shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what he was. You know, he could have games he could go off, and then he'd have four or five games he wouldn't make anything. And, uh, you know, that just comes down with, with the form fundamentals not being where they need to be. So he has a chance to correct those, and I, I think he will. And I think as he gets stronger, you know, he's able to get the ball and release point up higher. So the question is, um, how long will it take him? It's just amazing to me when these guys can get into the professional ranks and work nonstop. And that's one thing. Remember, when you're in college, college coaches only get 20 hours a week with you. Yeah. You know, when when you get into in the pros, man, these guys are working 60, 70 hours a week. You know, whether whether trainers and it's just nonstop for hours and hours and hours. And, the only way you can improve your shot is to you, – you have to get tens of thousands of shots up. Yeah. I mean, I mean tens of thousands. You can't change it overnight. And uh, so he's going to have the opportunity to do that. I don't. I think it's more like if, not when uh, – or, or excuse me, more like when, not if, that he changes his shot. I'm interested to see how long it will take. And um, having said all that, if he doesn't go um, – to the pros this year, I'll I'll personally go get him by the hand, take him to a psychiatrist. <laughs> I, you know he's looking he's looking at, at tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. All right, next on the list, Ashton Hagens, the uh, one of the most polarizing figures we've seen in in Kentucky basketball over the last several years. A uh, guy that you love, you know he's he brings so much to the table with defensive intensity and all that, but so much frustration as well. Um, if we were kind of going down the list, we'd probably put him at, at probably the third most likely to put his put his name in the draft. I just, I'm curious, uh, Travis, if you had to put a percent on on you know the likelihood that he goes, what would you say that is? I think, like Justin Rowland said last night, he said ten years ago this one had even been in question of him coming back, but it's all about potential now and. I think that it's a 60-40 split that he goes. I know he hinted last night on his Instagram. He's talking about running it back for year three, blah, blah, blah. And I believe that whenever I see it. My thing with Ashton is I don't know his role in the NBA. He can't score within two feet. He has no jumper. His defense is a little deceiving. Um, I think that he's better off-ball defender than on-ball defender. And I just don't know what his role is. Um, if I'm – I'm not hating on the kid whatsoever, but if I'm an NBA GM 
what makes me, even in the second round, want to be like, yeah, I want to spend a pick on this guy. I think this guy can run a high-level NBA offense. Yeah. There's Because he doesn't have a floater. He desperately – that's the one thing he needs to add to his game is a floater because when he gets too deep, he struggles to finish. If he could pull up and shoot in the middle of the lane, shooting a floater over a defender, that would be huge for his game. But I don't know if you're going to fix that shot. Yeah, it's 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 tough. I, I I'm surprised that you put it at at as low as as you did at sixty percent. I because I I I'm ha- I'm just saying like knowing like the current situation, like all of the stuff that's been going on. I think it's closer to like eighty to ninety percent he leaves. Yeah. But just looking at the fact that there he's barely on any draft boards. Um, there's the way the NBA is played now. I don't see him excelling at that, and I don't know what he. I just don't know. Like, yeah, he's got the most unique case of any player on Kentucky's roster right now. I feel like. Yeah, that, yeah, definitely. Uh, David, what's your what's your take on on the Ashen Hagen's saga? I could. I, I think we could do a whole show just on this topic. Yeah, and and probably last five or six hours. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't know where to start really. I mean, because there's so many angles, and and you know I. Anybody that's been kind of keeping up with the Twitter stuff or anybody on Cats Illustrated, they know that I've been – we have our games out. Um, uh, no more games right now. I've been going back and depending on the rounds, kind of been doing some big games in Kentucky history. And one of those over the weekend was um, the round of 32 game against Kansas. And I watched Wayne Turner, and it, it, he reminded me a lot of, of Hagen's. And probably Hagen's of a better attitude, but he, he was a point guard who stuffed the stat sheets, he'd get assists, he'd get rebounds, he turned the ball over some, he couldn't shoot well outside, uh, he defended, uh, was really quick. Uh, it, it just reminded me a lot of each other. And he is, he was undrafted and kind of surprised me. Uh, looking at uh, Hagen's, you know, Gavani's got him number 30 right now, but. He's not done a, a new mock draft since the issues late in the season. And, you know, we talked about it if – and I think it was it was either you or Travis had talked about, well, you know, they're saying people take it up for him and say he's just kind of feeling pressure of the draft and all that. And my comeback was, you know, if he's trying to up his draft stock, he's going about it totally the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, so I'm interested with all this query – where he turns up uh, in how much did he hurt himself at all? Uh, will he stay the same right around? Cause if, if he gets in that lower first round, I mean, he's a hundred percent gone because, you know, then he, like I said, I don't think he would care if he, how much he played in there or not. That's guaranteed money. You never have to work again. <laughs> yeah. So draft, uh, what's his name? Sam Vicini. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He has them going 50th to the Pacers. Wow. Okay. So, you know, he, he's got – I think we noticed late in the year, at least I did, you know, teams, even Tennessee, Florida, that Florida win, it kind of got back the way it was to end the end of 2019 season. People backed off of him and quit gardening. And, you know, it, they were giving him the jump shot. You know, those games, guys are playing four or five feet off of him just hepping down the post. So, you know, it, 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 he, was shooting, he was shooting better, you know, early on in the year, but I think he regressed. And I think that's something scouts will probably notice. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he'll come back. I, 
I, I think John, you know, Travis talked about John Calipari earlier doing a lot of coach speak. Man, he's doing a tap dance right now with Ashton Hagens like I've never seen. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just my opinion. But, you know, he said, you know, that, hey, the suspension had nothing to do with Tennessee or nothing on the court. He's just trying to clear his head, and that's the reason he didn't play. And, you know, there's there's no problems right now. And, and I hope he's right. But, man, just stuff that, that you guys have talked about, things we've heard, I, I just have a hard time believing all that. I'll say this. I like, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, by the way, but uh, Ashton Hagens needs to be thankful for the coronavirus taking over the UK Nouvelle media news feeds because <laughs> they were piling on him right before all this stuff happened with the NCAA tournament. And Man. I mean, like it was bad there for a couple of weeks. People were just piling on and piling on and piling on. And I, I'm I'm happy for the kid that it's over with. Yeah, well, the well, if you think about it, the SEC tournament is it before all this stuff happened. The SEC tournament's usually an open locker situation for for the media, so he would not have had an opportunity to to hide from you know he would have had to answer about it. And I mean, you bring up a good point. It's it's the fact that that he now will will you know likely never have to answer questions about it. I mean, it's 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 good for him. I'm I'm just. I love him. I, I I love what he brought to the table. I thought it was a, a strong two years from it. I know he hit a, hit a brick wall late in the year, both years. Um, you know, with the Auburn game and the NCAA tournament last year, and then obviously the Tennessee game this past year, and, and the off court stuff that happens since then. But I still I still like the kid a lot. Uh, I, I'm still rooting rooting for him. But I just think he personally is ready to take that next step. I think those within the organization or the, the 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 program think that he has been ready to take that next step. You know, at least personally, he. I don't want to say that he's had one foot out the door, but he's been a guy that has very much been looking forward. When when he came back last year, he oper- operated under the assumption that he was going to have a, a superstar sophomore year en route to a, a a first round lock in in this year's NBA draft. It didn't work out that way, but when you kind of have that that mindset um you know he he was very quick to return this past year but i think it was because of how you know because of how how confident he was that he would he would be gone next year at the very latest so when he came back i mean it really reminds me of that isaiah briscoe situation when isaiah briscoe came back it was great good for him we you know we we chewed for him but at the end of that second year there wasn't anybody out there that thought that Briscoe was going to return for a third year. That just just nobody thought that, and that's that's how we are with with Hagens. I think it's a um, about as close to a. I know he went on Instagram Live and said, "Oh yeah, we're going to run that back and and all that," but I think he's just you know still drawing interest and and kind of. Um, I don't want to say he's teasing fans, but you know, there's just that's that that sense of you know kind of keeping his name fresh out there, and you know, it's 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 a good ego stroke to have people want you and say we want you back and 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 all that. I, I just do not envision a scenario where Hagen's returns, barring a, a you know, Calipari tells out tells him flat out, dude, you're not ready for the NBA. You need to come back. That conversation, uh, you know, barring a conversation like that, I just don't envision a scenario where he returns um, to to Kentucky. And and it's good. I, I'm going to cheer for him. I think he's. I think he can carve out a role. I don't know what it is right now. I don't know if it'll be as a Patrick Beverly type player. I don't know if it'll. You know, I, I don't know. But I, I think he. I think he'll spend some time in the G League. I think it's going to be a, a, a journey, but 
um, I'm rooting for him. I, I'm I'm excited for to to see him take the take this next step and uh, kind of see what what he does, and then what how Kentucky kind of utilizes the point guard position in his absence moving forward. Um, on that note, the on the fence guys with the starting off with Emmanuel Quickly, who I think has the toughest decision to make out of all Kentucky players, and and given where his stock is, given how successful he was last, you know, last year, the SEC Player of the Year title that he earned, all of that stuff. Um, I think he has a really, really tough decision to make, and I think there's positive, there, there are pros and cons on both sides. So, uh, David, I want to start with you with quickly. If you had to make your gut, you know, g- give a gut decision right now, what would you say Emmanuel quickly does? I kind of think he's going to come back. Yeah. And – Travis made a great point, believe it or not. Here, uh, <laughs> like always. <laughs> believe it or not, a it was the damnedest weeks, thing. <laughs> yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about quickly and about improving his draft stock and something I really hadn't thought about. Travis said, what if um, Calipari says, look, you can improve your stock if you come back and play point. And I was just thinking, you know, as, as – we were kind of wrapping up with Hagen's and, and, and I'll, I'll ask everybody out there that's listening and, 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 you know, you guys, you don't have to answer, but you can just think it through. It may be something you really don't want to answer, but who would you rather have come back Emmanuel quickly or Ashton Hagen's? And, um, if, if, if quickly does come back, it would probably be because he's going to play point guard. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, uh, uh, Travis's uh, whole take was, yeah, you can improve your draft stock by playing point. The reason we say this, I think one reason, as much as great as he played his sophomore year, uh, we kept thinking he might see a boost. But you got to remember, he came out of high school as a point guard, and NBA is, I mean, they're, they're, they're all about uh, – size you know length uh jumping ability height uh and so a two guard to them an nba six six yeah uh whereas you know they're they're looking at a manual he's played the two basically so they're saying okay he's like they really shoot it but he's too small to two spot you know and, and so you know i think the opportunity would be there especially if ashton hagan's left for Emmanuel quickly to come back and play the point guard spot. And I think that's how he could boost his stock. And we know we talked about money and all that. You know, he, he's not, from anything I've seen, he's not in a situation right now to where, you know, he gets drafted. Now, that could very well change uh, here in the spring as new mock drafts come out and, and they get some feedback. Uh, but, um, you know, right now, I, I think if he could come back and play the point guard role, that would that would be the, in his best interest. Travis? Yeah, I agree with what David said about coming back and playing point. I don't think he'll ever be a primary ball handler in the NBA, but some scouts have said that they haven't even, that he hasn't even shown them enough that he can be a secondary ball handler in the NBA, kind of like a Jamal Murray for the Nuggets. But I think that <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think that his NBA comparisons for me right now without showing any – point guard like true leading a team point guard skills would be Seth Curry not Steph Curry Seth Curry yeah and Landry Shaman I think those are two guys that high level shooters specifically from corner threes um 
their lockdown defenders. I think he would be a three and D guy right now. But if he comes back and shows that he can lead a team, and UK seems loaded next year, he's got a lot of opportunities to get easy dump off passes and create for others that can finish for him. I think that he can sneak into that first round, bottom end of the first round at least, and two years from now, because he would just have that extra dynamic that he doesn't have in his game right now. That people, Jack and I are in a group chat with couple of guys are scouts and they both told us that like hey we like they they think he could produce in the NBA right now but they want to see him come back and run the show yeah and I I think one thing too I think that would be a perfect storm for Devin Askew perfect you know the, the, the yeah yeah he's got that guy in front of him he still gets playing time there's not a lot of pressure on him coming in right off the bat he, he could really kind of grow into that role on the college level because you know I think, he moved up a year because he's young anyway and i think devin askey really favors emmanuel quickly in the same sense that they're both better off ball as of right now uh they're both good shooters uh questions about dribble separation we uh Dave and i did a write-up on cats illustrated we've been detailing every single freshman the incoming freshman for next season we did one on Devin Askew and I really compared him to Emmanuel quickly in my write-up yeah I mean it's it, it, that that dynamic for you know the, the staff was so high on bringing in a Cade Cunningham or bringing in you know that I mean even with this situation the opportunity for Emmanuel quickly to kind of groom Askew because Askew is a reclass kid he's a you know he's a top you know he's not a, a top five recruit. He's a top twenty to twenty five recruit. So there's going to be some growing pains. And to, to ask, um, you know, is it, I've been on, I've gone on the show, and I, you know, you guys know I'm as high on ask you as anybody, um, just in terms of winning. You know, that that winning mindset that you want on your team he has that but there's no mistake like there's no mistake in that having a guy like Emmanuel quickly come back to kind of take over the reins to show show ask you the ropes I mean that is the perfect perfect storm for him and and I think that's a big question that 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 quickly needs to ask ask himself is he comfortable being a you know, you brought up Landry Shamit and, and Seth Curry, but you know, a, a primary bench score like a Lou Williams or a Jamal Crawford, those those type of of you know electric you know spark plugs off the bench. Or is he comfortable being that kind of player, or does he want to come back and be a legit Jamal Murray type guy where? Um, he is going to be running a lot of point, kind of you know he's he'll have that versatility to you know play off ball, play on ball, however he wants to do it. I think that's it's a it's a very tough decision right now. Right now, I think he'd be a a firm second round pick, but I think if he came back and showed that he could be a legit point guard or at least one that you know a, a, where teams could trust him to to take over the point guard position at any given time, that would one hundred percent push him into first round grade and, and guaranteed money, and, and you get into that conversation. So. You know, and I think he's another one of those guys that he's going to have to ask himself. You know, with me missing the NCAA tournament, with me missing the SEC tournament, that that unwritten story out there. Maybe he wants to come back and write that story. Maybe he wants to come back and and kind of show I had this this tournament run ripped out of my hands. I'm going to come back next year. You know, already being an SEC Player of the Year and show them that this team was capable of winning it all and and. Um, that I was going to be a, a key key aspect of of that title run. So I think he is a very very tough decision to make. If I were it, it, if I were to to put money on it, 
a month ago, I would have said quickly leaves 75%. I thought I was feeling pretty confident that he would end up leaving. But with all this stuff going on, given the the openness that he has to running the point guard position, given Devin Askew, all of those other those other dynamics that we didn't really think about going into it, I'm I'm leaning more toward coming back as well, David. I, th- I think I'm in your boat. I think I'm leaning like 55%, 45%. Um, stay versus go and it's I mean if he were to return that would be that'd just be a game changer for this program to have him running the point have Terrence Clark at the two BJ Boston at the three kind of all three of those guys working with the ball in their hands I mean that man that'd be that that'd be a special three guard three guard lineup for for sure um moving on to I'm in the same boat, go for I'm in the same boat as you uh real quick um a couple weeks ago before all this stuff broke like into the regular season I was convinced that quickly was going to leave. I was probably about 60, 40. Just if you had to throw a percentage on it, just slightly over 50, 50 that he was going to leave. And then now with him not being able to show out for teams and workouts, and this is going to be a common theme for the next few weeks, like him not being able to show out for workouts for teams, him not being able to do the combine. And he's a guy that if he went to the combine and lit it up, say he went like, Five for seven for three one game, three for four the next. He's a guy that would get a lot of early second round looks. Yeah. But I think that now he's slightly leaning toward returning. Dan I mean he he still could go, but as of right now I think that he would return. Yeah, I think the the biggest the biggest takeaway that fans need to know is that there is optimism within the program now that he's gonna return because I think that there was legitimate you know pessimism that he would that 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 he was going to end up I mean I think they they thought for a long time that that he was going to he was after he kind of he kind of became that star late you know midway through the year and then going into the the end end stretch when he carved out that that star role I think that the program legitimately just started kind of penciling penciling him in as a as a drafty. I mean, one hundred percent, they thought he was going to end up for the uh, leaving leaving for the NBA draft. So with with you know with these new dynamics, I mean, they are now leaning. I don't want to say that they're leaning toward him coming back, but that the the door is much more open for a return than it was a month and a half ago. I mean, literally, it, it hasn't even been that long that he was seen as an, a near lock to leave. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes, how he t- – I mean, I think he's going to put his name in the draft and he's going to try to, um, you know, talk to teams and at least feel out his, his stock. But, man, I would not be surprised if he if he does end up returning. The next guy that I – I'm about 40-30 on it. Well, that's that's like that, that uh, Travis math that we heard earlier – Earlier in the in the year, um, what did Yogi Berra say? It's ninety percent uh, mental, and another half is physical. Yeah, <laughs> that's it right there. Um, okay, one guy that I think has kind of been not screwed over by this, but kind of his kind of his NBA opportunity was kind of ripped out from from him as well. Is EJ Montgomery? Because if you'll remember last year. Um, he did this when he kind of entered the NBA draft pro- process. Everybody kind of assumed that he would end up end up ultimately returning, and then he ended up going in, in, in all these workouts and impressing the hell out of all these teams with his with his guard guard skills and shooting ability. He was knocking down shot after shot in all these workouts, and it kind of led NBA teams to go, "Man, this could be a, a you know a 
a high potential guy that we could get in the second round, maybe um, or very early in the second round. He he talked to the media right after he made his decision, decision last summer and said that teams were saying that they were possibly interested in him in, as a late, late first rounder as well. So I don't know if he would have ever been a first round pick, you know, last year, but. He teams at least told him that he was he was a potential first rounder, and in that if he had come that if he came back, he was a near lock to to be a lottery pick. And based on that information, and then I talked to to several people with inside the program right before the season started, and they penciled him in as as a one hundred percent NBA draft guy. They said that there's there's just they don't envision a scenario where he ends up back. They said. At the end of the year, UK is going to lose all three of Nate Sestina, Nick Richards, and EJ Montgomery, and like even even through the struggles, why would I think any different? That's you know he was a guy that was set on leaving no matter what, and and um, you know nothing changed until you know now he won't have the draft process. Now he's not going to be able to work out for teams. Now he does you know, that that potential. I mean, he's not even remotely on these draft boards. So I, I want to know what you guys are leaning with him. Travis, we'll start with you. What do you think um, EJ Montgomery is going to end up doing? And and do you think it's going to be the right decision for him? He's a guy that I've talked to a couple of scouts and they've said that he's not even on team draft boards in the top 100. Uh, some teams, I think that he, I don't think that he would get a second round grade. I think he's got the skill, but he's never shown that he that he could be the guy that's just gonna like take over a game and dominate. He's never dominated one game. I think how many? I think he's had one double double since he's been at Kentucky. Something like that, yeah. And then like three or a low amount of um, double figure scoring games. Yeah, very low amount. And for a top ten recruit, that's kind of eye opening. But I've talked to somebody that was close to him in high school and they said that kind of messed him up because everybody around him wanted him, him to be a guard and he never developed a true big man skill set. And then you just now see that developing at Kentucky. So I think he's a little behind the curve with that, but I don't know where he's going to go if he leaves. That's a situation. I think he really wants to be a pro. I think he's another guy. I think that spacing in the pro game would be better for his game. Yeah. Or more room to operate in the mid range and drive, uh, drive to the basket, but I don't know who's going to take a other than a summer league deal. I don't know who would take a risk on him. Yeah, David, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I, I've kind of felt like all year he would come back, and I, I've just not seen the play from him. This say, uh, hey man, he is really getting ready to climb these draft boards because you know he would like to. You know, basically, he's not been on them, and I think he's kind of. I've said this. I think he's kind of a pleaser, uh, and I think that's rare with guys who are highly ranked five stars coming out of high school as him. I think he's just been the antithesis of some guy that's um, just had whatever he's wanted, and and he feels like everybody else owes him something. If there's a guy out there that I really admire, it's been EJ Montgomery. Yeah, because. He's played to a role. He's played hard. And basically his role offensively is just be the garbage guy. Yeah. And he took that role. He ran with it. He did it enthusiastically. He gives a hundred percent every game uh, in that role. You know, now defensively, he's different. He, he can switch out. He's a great rim protector. And like I said, I can think of several games that he's won down the stretch 
you know, that Florida game was delayed. That's where he got the tip in at the end. Yeah, he literally uh, and, and, yeah, he just got that. They basically put him in the short corner and said, okay, if you're going to attack the rim on penetration or if, uh, you know, they're outnumbered because of help, you're going to crash your backside and get the offensive rebound. And that's what he did. Now, defensively, like I said, I think he's special. Um, so I, I appreciate what he's done. I, I think one thing he's done, I just, you can tell offensively, he just gets in a hurry. Mm-hmm. I think he gets a little nervous. I think he wants to impress. I think he wants to do the right thing. And I just feel like when you take all that into consideration, I, I, I think he, he just, he just presses. Um, I think another year coming back will be great for him. I think Nick Richards is set to Preston playing uh, three years. Uh, coming back for the third year, I think EJ can do some of that. And and just to uh, kind of uh, piggyback on something uh, Travis said a while ago, you know, we talked about the ball not going through Nick next year. So if it don't go through Nick, obviously it wouldn't go through EJ. But I think that's a better thing, you know, to prove the NBA that you can play from the outside, that you can play in a pick-and-roll game, you can play in a pick-and-pop game, uh, you can play the modern-day big. I, I don't think – Anybody else, you know, any NBA teams are going to be really impressed because you can play with your back to the bucket because teams don't do that now. And I, I take Luca Garza at Iowa kind of as a, a role on that. You know, Luca Garza is not going to be drafted, and, and he's the best college post player in the country uh, just as far as college basketball goes. They just give him the ball down there, and he takes over. And, uh, you know, he's not going to get drafted because, you know, he his game is not – suitable to, to, to stretch the floor it's an old school game so i think next year of all those guards the ball not going through there you know ej could kind of relax a little bit and you know play around those guys and and, and kind of make his case for being a an nba big man yeah it's it i, I think next year i think what nick richards did for him this year just in terms of showing him that he doesn't have to be a two and done. You're not a failure if you leave after two years. You know, you had the you had the Willie Cauley Stein situation where you know he could have gone and probably you know a lot of people think he should have gone and he he was kind of an outlier in this in all this. You have the Alex Poitherses of the world that you know after his sophomore year he really didn't have you know and he didn't have that NBA route. It was kind of a, a guarantee that he would he was going to come back but you rarely get that we've been getting a lot of the second year guys but that third year has been kind of that that you know that unmarked territory at at Kentucky if you are when you get to the third year the kind of general assumption is that you've been a quote unquote failure at Kentucky and I think Nick Richards kind of changed that entire narrative and and kind of paved that path for guys like EJ Montgomery to say you can show flashes in your first two years. You can kind of, you know, be inconsistent, but still show, you know, spurts of greatness, and then come back for your for your junior year and kind of put it all together as the star of the team. And I think that mindset has kind of changed the way EJ Montgomery has approached his draft pro- draft process. I think uh, Travis, you brought up a good point. I think there were people around him that kind of showed him the wrong, uh, you know gave him the the wrong idea about going to Kentucky and what he needed to be and what kind of player he was going to be. Yes, you can be a big man with guard skills, but you can't be a big guard with, you know, no 
big skills, if that, if that makes any sense. Like, you can be an Anthony Davis-type player where you can, you know, bring the ball to the floor and, and shoot threes. Bam Adebayo kind of showed that, you know, showed that you can do that, but you still have to have that big man skill set. And I think that's what EJ has kind of come come around to, that, oh, I can be an elite big, and, you know, especially defensively, as, as David said, he's already shown that. Um, now it's just about showing that offense and, and being consistent. And I, I think – Two months ago, I would have said there was a 100% guarantee that EJ Montgomery was going to leave. I thought no matter how slow he, he was coming around this year that he was going to have a big SEC tournament, big NCAA tournament, um, and at least, at the very least, show out in the draft process. And now that none of those were made available to him, I don't want to say UK lucked out by this, but you know, I think there was a, a bit of you know now that that won't happen, it's definitely trending the right direction for fans that want EJ Montgomery back. So, um I, we didn't really do a percentage on this, but if I were if I were to put a percent on this, I'd probably say seventy percent that he comes back. That you know maybe maybe teams talk themselves into taking him or whatever. But I, I think I, I I'm feeling pretty confident that that uh, that he will be returning. Now we're gonna kind of Jack. One, one thing, uh, let, let me I'll make it quick. Um, you were talking about Willie Cauley Stein. I'm running, doing a series right now on Cats Illustrated, where I'm interviewing the high school coaches for all the signees that are coming in. And I've learned a lot from each one, but the, the story it's up today is Kevron Fletcher. And uh, I talked to Coach Irons over at Bashan, and he made the comparison with Bashan Leonard to kind of Willie Cauley Stein in, in the fact that he said, you know, no matter what people thought about Willie Cauley Stein, when he first came into Kentucky, they didn't say, hey, go down to the block and we're going to give you the ball. Yeah. And you're going to score for us. He wasn't that kind of player. He said he had to develop and develop and develop, and it took time. And he kind of made the point that, that Cameron's going to be that kind of player. But, you know, that kind of goes back to what you say. People expect guys to come into Kentucky that are one-and-done type players. And, you know, they have to develop their game and turn it into something. I think EJ's like that. And I think probably of the six guys coming in in this freshman class, four of them are in that. But I think there's two one-and-dones. And I think the other four are just multiple-year guys who – who keep improving their game as they go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to group this next, um, this, these next three guys as the likely, you know, very likely returnees, and that's Keon Brooks, Johnny Juzang, Dante Allen. I mean, Calipari has has gone out on record about all three of these guys and basically penciled them in as returnees at this point. I think yesterday, yesterday during his little video conference with, with the media, he said that Johnny was, was definitely a guy that he was looking forward to in this next year, kind of penciled him in as the, as a guy that he sees taking a big sophomore jump said, look at how he kind of put things together at the end of the year, how he, you know, stuck with the process and, you know, held strong as difficult as it was. I mean, we, we've talked behind the scenes that the, that the rumblings of him transferring after this year were genuine. Like he was, I mean, I, there was one guy out in the West coast that told me that he already had his bag bags packed and that he was ready to go home, that he was 100% going to transfer. And there was like, when, when things clicked for him and he, he kind of had that, Oh, uh, okay, like this is this is what I could provide to this team. When he when he finally realized that, it was like just it was just like everything switched for him. It was like he finally realized that he could be a a serious 
serious role player on this team, not only next year, but to end this year. And, and he ended up being that. I mean, you look at that Florida game, he played 33 minutes, had, you know, shot well, you know, he was active on defense, rebounded. Like he, he, he did a lot on both ends of the floor um, that, you know, kind of got you excited for next year. So I think the staff is very excited about his return. They said they're excited about, you know, Dante Allen almost got minutes against Florida with Ashton Hagen's gone. They only had seven scholarship players and, and Calipari asked him like, Hey, would you be comfortable doing this? Um, you know, would, would, would you be cool risking your red shirt is, or are you interested in that? Rather? I don't want to burn your red shirt, but if you're dying to get in the game, you're ready. That's kind of what he was, was what he was trying to trying to say. So he's Calipari is excited for second year out of him. Keon Brooks. I mean, physically we got to see, um, Keon Calipari go right at Keon in that Florida game and kind of let him take that next step. And, and Travis, you said that you're super excited about him, about him as a sophomore. So let's kind of group all three of these guys together. What are you most excited about with, with those three returnees and, and uh, what they mean for the roster next year? I'm excited. That nobody really knows what to expect with Dante Allen, but everybody remembers how wired he was to score in high, at the high school level in Kentucky. I think that – you're looking with those three. I think Brooks starts at the four next year, but you would, even if, let's say Brooks came off the bench, you're looking at a solid two, three, four combo right there out of those three off the bench. And Juzang is a guy that's going to take some time to get. I think he's a three to four year guy. I made the mistake. I thought he was going to. Who's the two? Who, who do you think the two is? I would think that out of those three, that Johnny would play the two. I, mean, okay. I think him and Allen are interchangeable. But I think that Juzang's more suited for the two. And I think that, like, like Jack said, I'm really high on Keon Brooks. I think he's going to be take a huge sophomore jump. I think he's going to average maybe like 10 and 8 next year, which would be nice on a loaded team because, I mean, he'd still be – if Emmanuel quickly comes back, I think he would be the fourth option on offense. And 10 and 8 for the fourth option is – Nice, because I think that Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston both can average 15 points a game. I think Emmanuel Quickly is going to average 15, 13 to 15 points a game. Next year's team is one of the most unique teams that Cal Perry has had since he's been in Kentucky. But I think I think Dante Allen and Juzang give quality minutes off the bench. I think Juzang could play 15 to 20 minutes a game. I don't I don't want to speak in absolutes on Allen because nobody's seen him play <laughs> in over yeah. a year. So, I but I'm. I remember watching him in high school and thinking that he could really contribute this past year. So if he comes back from injury at high rate, then I think you can count on him to contribute in some way next year. David, what do you think about that three, that three group grouping of three, I guess. You know, I kind of was thinking about the next year's team this morning and knew and we, knowing that we were uh, going to come on there and, and probably be talking about that team. And just looking at all the players that could possibly come back. I mean, if, if things work out and let's say quickly comes back and Montgomery, let's say just those two quickly comes back and Montgomery comes back. I think of all the Calipari teams he has had, he has gone to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven elite eights. Okay, and won 11 years. And a couple Final Fours, National Championship team. I can only think, though, of all that, of two teams, and that was 2012 and uh, 2015, 
where you've been kind of like, man, there's not enough balls to go around. Yeah. And I mean, this would, to me would be, and look, now he's had some really, really great teams of chemistry, but it didn't come out like that. This is only to me the third team that he's had since he has been at Kentucky where you're going, man, I mean, you're just, there's so many good players on his team. You know, how does it fit? So I, I think the first thing that you've got to be able to do is these guys has got to be able to accept roles. Can Johnny Juzang to somewhere in his sophomore year, does this, you know, if you've got freshmen coming in playing over him, does he get funky at any time? Yeah. Does he, the, 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 you know, does he start having say, okay, now I am gone this time. And I, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. It, I think the thing that they've got to do is all these guys, they've got to accept roles. I mean, you know, Dante Allen is, is going to, is going to have uh, uh, situations as long as he's at Kentucky where John Calipari is going to be, you know, he's not going to quit recruiting players. Yeah. And it can almost feel like you're getting recruited over. And, you know, I remember Andy Borman, and we all know him from the New York Rens. He was talking about players he's had in the past, Lance Ware and some of the other, he's had a lot of really good players. And he tells them all the time, he says, look, if you are going to go, to North Carolina, Kentucky, places like that, you have got to expect that they're going to constantly, they're not going to stop recruiting. They're constantly going to try to find better players at your position. And you just got to be ready for that. And you've got to beat those guys out. So I think all these guys here have to be ready for that. And I do think that you're talking about Keon Brooks possibly playing a four next year. I think he provides some of that, that, you know, just the things that are so important in today's game would be versatility. I think, especially uh, uh, defensively, uh, and you know, he can guard multiple positions. He can play the three and a four. So I think when you give that luxury, uh, you say, "How would you crack the lineup at Kentucky with all these? Well, that you can do a number of things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I can play, go down on the post. I can step out on the perimeter too. But I can, I can guard both. I can slide down there and guard bigs, and that may really be an important thing next year. So you kind of have to like where Keon's game is at. And Johnny Juzang got better, but I, I still think he's going to have to have patience. But I, I think as he learns the game, just seeing how much more comfortable he got later as the year went that uh, I think it's training in the right direction for him, but you know, they've all got to have, uh, they're, they're all going to have to have patience. Now, as we kind of go down this list and we're, we're think, you know, kind of working through who we think is going to return and, and who's leaving, um, I've kind of jotted down, you know, the, the, potential roster i guess for next year and um you know it'd be quickly at the one starting at the one terrence clark at the two bj boston at the three keon brooks at the four ej montgomery at the five and then ask you would back up quickly juzang would back up clark fletcher would back up boston um where would back up uh, Keon Brooks and then Isaiah Jackson would back up EJ Montgomery and then Dante Allen would kind of be the floater between the you know as the 11th man basically between uh the the two you know the two and the three I guess maybe spot minutes at the at elsewhere but you know primarily the two and the three I'm looking at this roster and I'm not seeing much room for any potential additions um despite 
some rumblings, and we're going to get into specific grad transfer options. But you know, there's Greg Brown's about to make a decision. There's there's all these you know reclass talk and all that. Before we even get into the specifics of of each individual player, is there even any room for a, a, an addition with that given roster, Travis? I don't know if there's room, but I think that a surefire seasoned big man is needed. I think that that's the only – looking at that roster next year, I think, like I said, Keon's going to play the four in my opinion. I think he's going to be really good. But a five, that, that every Calipari team that – every good Calipari team that he's had at Kentucky has had a good five man. And yeah. looking at that that roster next year, I'm not seeing any guarantees for for a high-quality five. EJ Montgomery plays more like a forward or a wing. Um, decent rim protection, but not elite. Isaiah Jackson's elite rim protector, but he's also like 190 pounds. Um, yeah. He's, and I think. He's actually think, up now. His high school coach said he's actually up about 218, 220 now. Yeah, Travis. Well, he's the skinniest he's... 220 I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say. But, yeah, he looks like Perry Stevenson out there. But <laughs> the, like, if I had to pick one thing to add to next year's team, it would be an elite big man. But, I don't know if like like y'all were talking about the numbers. I don't know who's going to be knocking down the door to play on a team that already has. Let's see, Lance Ware's a five a five star. Isaiah Jackson's a five star. BJ Montgomery's a five star. Keon Brooks is a five star. And I don't know who I don't know who's going to be knocking at the door to come compete with those guys. My thinking would be that Brooks at the four would then, if we were, if Kentucky were to get an, an elite graduate transfer big, or if if this tra- transfer rule passes where we can get any any uh, big man in, in college basketball, um, or a Greg Brown commits, what whatever, I mean, however this all unfolds, my guess it would be Brooks would slide in and share minutes with B.J. Boston at the three. And then Cameron Fletcher would be the guy to to see fewer minutes, and then um, EJ Montgomery could slide up to the four, and then we'd have the primary five. Or um, if the, it's a four man that UK gets, they they would basically start ahead of Lance Ware at the four. I guess I think that'd be the only the only scenario that I'd see where we'd even be able to entertain another. You know, but at that point we're talking twelve scholarship, you know, legitimate scholarship players. And When's players, the last time Calipari's ever ever gone that far? Player, oh sorry. No, go for it. If you're if you're a four or five star player, you're going to you want playing time. Yeah. This twelve man roster stuff is it worked one time in twenty fifteen. It hasn't worked before, it hasn't worked since. And I don't see where people think they're gonna have a quality twelve man roster with another transfer coming in. I've Jack and I have heard rumblings about a grad transfer big, but crunching the numbers, I just don't see it working out because Cal's the master of managing egos, but that's a crap load of egos to manage. I think that was before the, the – I think we heard that talk right before the Tennessee game. And yes, that was that was when the staff was still kind of – Thinking that that EJ Montgomery would have a big a big march, like they thought that you know he could potentially ha- you know have a big SEC tournament, big NCAA tournament, and then during the draft process, teams would go, "All right, you sold us. We're we're gonna we're gonna take a shot on you." I think they were still kind of banking on that just because of how you know set on leaving he was to to start the year, 
But now that it's looking more and more likely that EJ is going to return, like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where they would fit. I mean, literally, the, the only scenario I would envision would EJ would be Keon moving back to the three and and it being a four guy or EJ Montgomery playing the four. You know, that would be if the Keon's only a guy. Three and EJ's a four at the same time. That really hinders yes next team next year's team's potential, in my opinion. But it's interesting, like you said, they haven't reached out to any grad transfer bigs, but they've reached out to transfer guards. Yeah. And yeah. well, Emmanuel quickly is probably the closest to being on the fence, and you probably have more of a need at the guard spot. But I think you got more quality at the guard spots than you do at the bigs. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's it's tough. I, I'm very and shoot. Okay. <laughs> let let me throw let me throw an, an another interesting wrinkle into this. The NCAA is currently contemplating a a uh, transfer f- or a, a, another year of eligibility for winter winter sports. I know John Rothstein came out and said that it, he sees it as a highly unlikely situation, but uh, I think Jeff Goodman came out just now and said that th- there's going to be an official vote on whether or not. Spring and winter, it's going to be a joint vote, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if they're going to it's they're going to be voting on two separate votes at the same time or 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 what. But the voting is going to happen on March thirtieth, so five days from now, they're going to make an official decision on whether or not you know. I guess it'd be Nate Sestina returning for his for another year at Kentucky. He already told the staff that he's going to come back if the opportunity presents itself that he's that he's ready to return. So. Very unlikely to happen. I'm I'm saying that right now. But say the NCAA says screw it. We you know we took this NCAA tournament out of their hands. Let's just let's just get real real crazy and wacky and let let graduate se- you know seniors and graduate transfers have another year year of eligibility. That would the 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 roster would be done at that point, would it not? Yeah, I would I would think so. Yeah, like I I don't think they'll pass that the the winter sports uh, the winter sports eligibility rule but i mean i wouldn't be totally surprised either but yeah i would you would think that the roster would be done at that point yeah i i, I just don't don't see how you would be you know able to even fit another another guy in there but um, we brought it up several times we got to at least touch on it the graduate transfer options kentucky has has you know 100% reached out to amari hardy who is Actually, the brother of 2021 top 10 prospect Jaden Hardy, who we have talked on the show multiple times about, basically all but said he's a lock to Kentucky. Um, you know, this Amari Hardy kid, he's going to be a senior next year, but he's technically a graduate transfer. He'll have one year of eligibility. Six foot two, originally out of Detroit, second leading scorer on UNLV last year, averaged career high 14.5 points and 3.3 assists per game. Um, the reports came out that said that he that Michigan State, Oregon. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Memphis, Arkansas, Maryland, Seton Hall, Missouri, Cincinnati, Butler, Marquette, Washington, Wake Forest, and TCU outside of Kentucky have, have all reached out to him. So this is one of the, the biggest name transfers out there. Um, what are your early thoughts, David? What do you think of the the possibility of Amari Hardy? I guess would he be the replacement for um, Emmanuel Quickly? Is, that, is the staff kind of floating the idea of uh, of Hardy kind of being that that placeholder if if quickly were to to end up, end up going to the draft. Well, I think it makes sense from one standpoint that obviously 
Jaden Hardy. Uh, you know, I, I think um, Travis has already done a you know future cast for him going to Kentucky. So it kind of makes sense on that part. But you know, going back to transfers and grad transfers, um, I think John Calipari's got to reach out right now to some of these guys simply because there's so much uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean, who knows? I mean, you, you go back to last year or year before when he first let these guys wait till the end of May to get feedback before they announced where they came back. And I remember John Calipari saying specifically that he said, you know, it's going to change the ball game now. He said, we're going to go into Memorial Day. The coaches are going to go into Memorial Day not knowing what the roster is. Yeah. And before they've already, they've always known by this time of the year. So that put it back two months. Now you've got all this with Corona and all that. Now it could be pushed back to the summer. You know, we're still in March. So I, I think they've got to cover all their bases because I I have no clue. I don't think anybody has a clue right now, you know, what things are going to look like in June. You know, as far as all these rules that are passed, as far as uh, what the Kentucky roster is going to look like. Um, so, you know, you're dealing with that. And, you know, you start getting into all these the numbers, what the Kentucky roster looks like. And I think it's, um, you know, we, we're, we're basing all that best-case scenario that Emmanuel quickly and EJ come back. Well, you can't sit here if you're Calipari and say, well, you know, this guy's coming back, this guy's coming back, so we're not going to recruit because those guys really don't know. What if they don't come back? And there you are. Yeah. And, and also, um, it's like we said, you know, you started bouncing numbers. Who's playing each position? You know, you're talking about, some of these guys playing being the ninth man, the 10th man, the 11th man that we've already talked about. And, you know, how much are, you know, we talked about, they just got to have patience. When, when does that uh, get to be something that they're not interested in anymore? And, you know, you take Calipari, let's say this roster is 10, 11 deep next year. Uh, When does he start saying, Hey, you know, coaches don't like to play 10 deep rosters. They were going to play eight deep. Yeah. And, you know, have, guys there if, if, if they need somebody to you know off the bench so man there's you know you, you talk about hardy there's just so many there's just so many unknowns out there right now that you know calipari and, and all college coaches they got to be the ultimate poker players because they just they've got to cover all their bases and and be able to do it the right way simply because of the unknown Travis, I know you're pretty, you, you, you know, you're getting more and more comfortable with this Jaden Hardy recruitment and just kind of that, the, the, the family itself and just kind of the Coronado coaching staff, that, that kind of dynamic. What's your feel on this? What do, why do you think Calipari reached out to a, a, an Amari Hardy versus, say, a Bryce Aiken, who we'll talk about here in a second, but a guy that we heard you know, almost immediately after he announced that he was transferring, that if Kentucky wanted him, that he was he was going to go to Kentucky. That, but we still, to this day, have not heard a single peep about Kentucky um, reaching out to Bryce Aiken. Why? Why Amari Hardy versus uh, the the Harvard transfer? Well, for one, if it guarantees that you get Jaden Hardy, you one hundred percent go for it. If if Amari and Bryce Aiken are comparable, because you get two for one with one guaranteed but i think that amari is a little bit bigger than bryce i think that he's a better distributor than bryce he doesn't score as much but his 
his offensive scheme at UNLV more matches what they're trying to do at Kentucky than what Bryce Dakin has been in at Harvard. But I think that Hardy, what I've heard is that Hardy wants like 25 to 30 minutes per game and wants to be able to play some point. Because that's what a lot of scouts are saying about him too, is they want to see him run the point. So I think that if Quickly leaves, that Hardy is quickly on next year's team. I think that I don't think that he would come at all if quickly were to return, but stranger things have happened. But I think that once again, you just add another number to, to crunch. If quickly comes back and you go after Hardy or somebody else, I think that this is just a safety net and they're doing their due diligence because they're the heavy favorites for Jaden Hardy right now. They really want to do whatever they can to, get his commitment for a couple years from now. I think that is, without a doubt, the biggest takeaway. I think why, if you have an opportunity to reach out and get more you know, face-to-face contact time, I know it's literally on FaceTime and on Skype because that's all they're allowed to do, but if you have more opportunities and more reason to talk to the parents and uh, of Jaden Hardy and the coaching st- and and you know, the, you know, coaches and those close to that family and, and just establishing that relationship even further. Um, even if you have real, really no intention of, you know, if you knew that, that Emmanuel quickly was coming back, you'd still go at Amari Hardy as a, Hey, we're still waiting on Emmanuel quickly, but if he were to leave, we want you to be his replacement. And he could, they could talk to him as much as, as much as, they want and and kind of just keep building that relationship and it looks good for Jaden Hardy to know that okay this is a this is a guy this is a coaching staff that values my family they 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 want to keep building these relationships up with not just me but my but my dad my mom the you know my my high school coach my you know all of the people around them they want to keep building this 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 these relationships up because they are so I mean yes Amari Hardy is one hell of a player we you know if if Emmanuel quickly were to go to the NBA he'd be a, he'd be an awesome replacement but the the prize here is Jaden Hardy let's not make no let's not make him you know any mistake about it like he Jaden Hardy's the prize is a top 10 recruit number one combo guard in the nation one of the best scorers I've seen in, in person in a long time I mean he's just a flat-out bucket getter and the staff has him penciled in for that 2021 class so for 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 that side of it that's why you go go for this Travis I also want to ask you real quickly okay what about the dream scenario Emmanuel quickly returns and Kentucky reaches out to Amari Hardy and says, okay, yeah, 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 I know you want to go to the NBA. I know you want to get all these minutes and all that. But let me counter you. What about, you You, you know, he's he's a true senior going into his senior year right now. He's played all three of his first, first three years. He's going to be a graduate transfer, immediate eligibility. Um, but he's not sat out, a year, sat out a year yet. What if Kentucky pitches – what about recl- what about uh, redshirting this year? Learning the system, you have five years to play for. This could be that sit out year. You come here and you team up with your brother next year. Do you think that's a uh, Do you think that's a a possibility? I would be absolutely beyond <laughs> shocked if that happened. Uh, I, I can't remember a player ever like being in a scenario like this that took that route. But I could see thinking about it. I could see a scenario where Calipari is able to convince him to come to Kentucky for this year and play this year as a sixth man, get 20 to 25 minutes a game at the one and the two spot. Be like, you'll initiate the offense at the two uh, whenever BJ or Terrence is on the bench. And then you'll back up quickly. And then, like I said, 
20, 25 minutes per game. But that, like Cal Perry convinced him that, hey, there's more value in these 20, 25 minutes than you running the point at, say, like Arkansas. Yeah. Or Tulsa or someplace like that. And for 30 minutes per game, I think you can get more, more quality reps, more and more development in 20 minutes here than you could 30 minutes anywhere else. I could see a scenario like that. Yeah. Uh, and we've also, we also heard that Jaden Hardy is actually, um, he could reclassify if he wanted to. Somebody, something that nobody really even entertained was the fact that, that he is in position to reclassify academically. His age is there. I th- you know, uh, he, he could if he wanted to. Um, and, and, and that would be a terrible thing for Kentucky. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, it'd be bad. But, okay, say, oh, let's just run 14 deep. Everybody say, gets, say gets things, but, but say things get really wacky this, this offseason. Say quickly leave. Say Johnny Juzang changes his, his mind and he transfers. Um, during workouts, uh, you know, somebody gets injured. I don't know. Say there's a lot of moving parts in, in all this. If that situation ever were to to happen, it could happen. I I, I guess that's the only way to. It's it's so, not it's right, not going to happen. Let's get but freaky here, let's get freaky. All right, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna go the Hardy brothers one and two, Clark at the three, Boston at the four, Keon Brooks at the five. Ultimate small ball, so small. everybody can rebound at a high level for their position. But you're not keeping that team from scoring under 80 a game. That team, that team is putting up 85, 90 points a game. That team would be just absolutely freaking nuts. Oh gosh, why, why, Hashtag freaky. why do we do this to ourselves? Yeah, that, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. I don't. Apollo reclassifies. Oh my god, dude, oh, there you go. Happens. You know what? There you go. We're gonna, we're gonna. Calipari has been used saving all these these scholarships for so many years for this class. It's going to be the most ridiculously loaded team in NCAA history. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it. I don't see. I think the only scenario that I could legitimately see Amari Hardy as a fit is if Emmanuel quickly leaves. I think that is that that would be ideal, and I don't know if I would even pencil in, um, you know, Amari Hardy as the starting point guard. I think, as we've said on the show in the past, I think he would likely split point guard minutes with Terrence Clark. We've we've said on the, on the show that that UK really. Th- sees a fit with with Terrence Clark at the point guard position uh running like a Tyreek Evans type you know type system where where you know a bigger uh you know slashing type guard that that you know he but he would be the guy running it so i think that i think, I think Hardy would still start but they would yeah, they, them two in Boston would combine to initiate the offense. And Askew would be the first guard off the bench to kind of be the the relief man for whoever needs a break. I, I think I think it could work. I really do. Uh, but that's only if quickly quickly leaves. I, if if quickly comes back, I just don't see how there's even space for that opportunity. Um, we we touched on Bryce Aiken. He's a six foot, one hundred seventy five pound guard out of Randolph, New Jersey. Calipari has his connections with with that New Jersey area, and I think that might be where a lot of I think that I think Aiken knows. Did he play the Patrick School, St. Patrick? I, I can't remember, but I know he I know he knows um, Nick Richards. I know he a lot of the mutual connections. Uh, Aiken is is associated with those guys, um, but for us to hear right away that he was kind of rooting for Kentucky as as his option as as his landing spot 
and for UK to not put out any feelers or even put that out there, I think it's interesting. I, I do. Um, it either means that they're feeling confident with another graduate transfer, really confident of it, like say Damari Hardy, or it means that that they feel confident quickly is going to come back because a, a talent like Bryce Aiken, twenty two points per game, forty percent, you know, shooter from three as a junior. Uh, he he does struggle, has some injury issues, but it'd be a, it'd be a good fit. I I really do think it'd be a good fit, but it just doesn't seem like Cal, uh, Calipari and the Kentucky coaching staff is initiating that level of of interest. So. As far as we know, I just I, I don't I don't see see that uh, unfolding. Um, are real quickly are, are there any other recruits or uh, graduate transfers that you guys have heard of that we should be aware of or um, to keep a close eye on or anything like that, uh, David? Jeff uh, Barzello of ESPN. Let me go to the speakerphone right quick here because I'm gonna read these names. He uh, put out an article on ESPN.com today and he ranks the top transfers and, and tell you what, this thing is really, if, if you talk about, you know, how much things have changed because of the situation is spring, what about all the players that have already come out and put their name in the transfer portal that usually wait to April or May? Yeah. I mean, it has really been quick and you've got guys who, are committing to school sight unseen. Yeah. And I mean, they're not even taking visits. They're, they're, they're uh, in the portal one day and they're picking a school the next day. So that, well, that's interesting. That, that Duke kid yesterday, the, the, from Columbia, I hadn't heard anything about him really. And, you know, out of the blue, uh, this Columbia graduate transfer, com, you know, signs with or commits to, to Duke. And I'm like, how, where did that even come from? Like he just, yeah, you, all the stuff is moving so quickly. And, Patrick, and yeah, Patrick Tate. Yeah, yeah, but the the rankings um, as far as grad transfers go, um, Jeff Brazello did it. Seth Towns, who committed to Ohio State, was the number one player. I'm gonna run down through the top ten right quick. Bryce Aiken was number two. Uh, Jordan Bruner, six nine, two oh five from Yale, power forwards number three. Uh, Mike Smith, point guard out of Columbia, is number four. Kevin uh, Marfo, I have heard a lot about him. Yeah. Out of Columbia, 6'8", 245, is number five. EJ uh, Anasiki, uh, 6'6", 245, out of Sacred Hearts, number six. Rich Kelly, point guard out of Quinnipiac, number seven. Darius Perry, uh, Louisville, point guard, number eight. Patrick Tate, went to Duke, number nine. And Kobe Webster, six-foot point guard out of Western Illinois, committed to Nebraska. He's number 10. So, according to Brazello, those are the top 10 um, grad transfers. You'd think. And, and you'd, really not a whole lot of post players out there. You'd think that Hardy, a 14-and-a-half-point-per-game scorer at a school like UNLV, would be higher on that list or even on that list entirely, you know, outside of guys from Columbia and Yale and – and Quinnipiac, like that, you know, you 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 would think that a high-profile player like like Hardy would be on that list. That's interesting, very interesting. Um, recruits, the only real big-name recruit that we have left to talk about after Cliff Omarui cut Kentucky from his list. I think he's what is he going to commit tomorrow or 
um, next couple days, I think. I think you know, I don't. I think that's going to be Arizona State, but he's going to commit here very soon. I think Greg Brown is the only remaining recruit we could even talk about in the class of 2020 as a potential option, if he even is an option. Um, he's announcing on April 24th. Final list of Texas, Memphis, Auburn, Kentucky, and Michigan. Uh, let's just flat out say it. Where do you guys think he lands, Travis? Texas. He said it himself. Shock is smart. Returns, he's most likely going to Texas. And that's the way the winds have been changing recently. Memphis has lost all momentum, it seems like, with a bunch of the recruits. Um, don't know what's going on there, but Mike Miller might possibly be leaving, maybe. I don't know. Um, but other, the NCAA violations might arise and might be a thing with them, but everybody seems to be turning to Texas, even though I wish he would have went to Auburn because I feel strongly oh. that Jaden Green is going to end up at Auburn. But I think that them two, along with Shreve Cooper, would have been electric in the SEC next year. But if if it turns out that his relationship with, with Shaka Smart wins out, then, I mean, we'll never hear from him. David. Uh, I agree with uh, Travis on Texas, and you know it was really funny. A lot of us had, had kind of backed off the old Texas thing because Shaka Smart was a dead man walking. <laughs> he, was. Ago. he was. He I was. Mean, he. Man, you talk about a guy with nine lives. I mean, it, it, <laughs> they showed the student section before one game, like five minutes before, and there were like three people uh, in the student section, and you know you had really big time basketball alums at Texas calling them out saying, you know, they, they had some games early in the big 12, whatever, getting beat by 35 and 40. And, and we're saying, I think one of them was against West Virginia. And um, uh, they had, you know, big time alums calling them out. saying it's the most embarrassing basketball game that they'd ever seen at Texas. And, you know, then it, it looked like it was going to be Memphis, but then, man, you talk about rallying the troops late in the season, and, uh, you know, saving his job and, and uh, the victor goes to spoils and, and he's going to get Greg Brown out of the deal. Yeah, man. <laughs> talking about talking about falling up, man. He's he's a guy that I mean, he was gone like he was he was 100 percent gone. And if the NCAA tur- conference tournament and, and the NCAA tournament, if all of that stuff had unfolded with all the other schools and and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if if they would have been in position to to make the tournament or or you know I think they were right on the fringe there the last week or two of the season but you know if if it had been an ugly ugly tournament season and and you know things things had gone haywire the fans turned on him like man that could have that could have been the the final straw with him and he could have gone so you're talking about a, another lucky guy uh, with another lucky break is the fact that we you know. He's one of those guys that we'll never know how this season would have ended for him. That that um, you know, it, he's lucky. He's very lucky, and yes, he's going to end up getting Greg Brown out of the deal. I think that Memphis talk was legitimate for a very long time, and I think if if he hadn't ended up at, at Texas, I think it would have been it would have been Memphis. Um, I was like, like Travis said, I was rooting for Auburn, but. Um, I mean, obviously outside of Kentucky, because I just didn't see Kentucky as an ideal scenario. But out of the legitimate contenders, I definitely thought uh, Auburn would have been the most fun option. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. You look at uh, Jared Allen, you look at Mohamed Bamba, and you look at at how they completely disappeared at the college level. I'll, I'll be interested to see if an entertaining guy like Greg Brown, whose game is literally a a human highlight reel, 
if that's going to end up drawing more attention to the Texas program. I'm betting against it. Um, reclass options. How in the heck is this all this madness going on going to affect the the reclass guys that you know the the feeling has always been that Jonathan Kamingo is going to reclass. Musa Cisse is a guy that most people assumed would. You got like you know Musa Diabate that was strongly considering it. Paolo Banchero now unlikely, but he was at least flirting with opportunity. Um, with the AAU season being delayed and canceled, whatever the heck it is right now, all the major events, Peach Jam potentially in jeopardy. Uh, could this? Do you think this could? potentially push more guys toward a reclass or do you think with the kind of up in the air status of the academics and people uh switching to online learning and and will will that reclass option even be on the table for these guys david what do, what do you think is the the end goal with all of this i don't think there i would be surprised if there's many reclasses uh it's really weird uh, I mean, you talk about a big spectrum of things. You've got 17-year-olds waiting to see what 22-year-olds do. <laughs> and I, I think it's trickle down. I think from from grad transfers goes to transfers, uh, uh, you know, and then go to uh, guys in the 2020 class, and then it goes all the way down to guys in the 2021 class. I, I think it's just a snowball effect that rolls downhill. Um, and, you know, talking to – Talked a lot to Eric Bossy and Corey Evans about this. Corey's adamant uh, that college coaches would rather have grad transfers than than 2021 guys who are glassing up, no matter what their potential is. Even like a a Kaminga, and and you know he said, look, you know what you're going to get if you now he's talking about high end on on you know grad transfer guys, but. He said, "Look, I mean, are, are you going to put your, uh, um, you know, are you going to go all in with guys who are, you know, have been there, have played three, four years of college basketball, who are older, or are you going to take a guy that that that's supposed to be a high school senior at seventeen years old? So, uh, I, I think no matter how good they are right now, just the whole uncertainty, and and I just think in the end, if if you do end up having more guys stay in college." Uh, number one, the room's not there, but I just don't know that these guys are as attractive. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Travis, what are your thoughts? I think only the, the guys that were already considering it would be the the only um, suspects to do so. I think that I don't think that this situation would make new guys want to reclassify because there's still talk that there could not be a college football or college basketball season next year. So there's a lot just a lot of uncertainty flying around everywhere in the world, but especially with us talking about sports, uh, especially in the high school college ranks of uh, athletics. But I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to watch it play out over the next couple months. I, I'll say one thing, though. You know, we've been – we've really kind of stressed out the last two years about recruiting post players. Yeah. And I just think with the way things are falling now and guys coming in, who's coming into Kentucky – I see, like I said, I see more guys who are here for multiple years, and I think you end up having guys like Isaiah Jackson and and a Lance Ware going into their second and third years, and I think that's going to be something you see. So I, I don't know that you have quite as much. Who knows? Keon Brooks might come back for a third, and I don't know that you have as much stress on John Calipari and his Kentucky coaching staff uh, recruiting post players. 
um, as you do, um, as you have, like, you know, since I've been covering Kentucky, I mean, that's been a premium the last two years, but I think you have more guys, you know, stay and, and these guys get better and better and you end up having, having solid, uh, two and three year post players. Uh, and I think that's probably the one positive for Kentucky through all this. Yeah. Um, well, I, let's go. I asked a, a Twitter question about, you know, submitting questions to us. So we'll kind of transition that right into, into some of those questions that we got. It kind of ties in with, with what we were just talking about. Um, we'll just go right down the list. We'll go through these quickly. Rogan, Logan Greenwell asks, very interesting question. Would you rather have had breakout junior Nick Richards in the, the season that he just had with PJ as a rookie or PJ return as a junior and Nick be the same player he was as a sophomore. So there's a lot – it was kind of a loaded question. There's a lot that went on with that. So he's saying, would you – I guess, would you rather see junior Nick Richards with with freshman PJ or PJ as a junior with Nick Richards as a freshman or sophomore, if that makes sense? David, what do you think about that? I'm not sure about the options on this one, but I am sure that – Somewhere along the line, we got Nick Richards in this from last year, and, and I would take Nick because um, he provided what this team needed, and, and that was really a lot of rim protection. Uh, just simply because I think any other scenario, you're mixing guys at three and four, and Travis has talked a lot today about having to have fives, and you know that's what Nick. No matter what uh, uh, group, what scenario. Nick Richards was the one guy that provided you the five who uh, uh, really could block shots and alter shots. And I think that's what they needed because you had enough talent and other positions to go around it. Travis, what do you think about this wacky little scenario? Uh, I think PJ Washington, because I think PJ Washington has a, had, I think PJ Washington as a junior or would be a rookie year is his ceiling is so much more higher. I think he would have been a, up there with OP Toppin for player of the year type of deal if he would have returned for a junior year. I think he would have absolutely dominated and averaged like 18 points a game. And Nick Rich, Rich, uh, Nick Richards could still block shots and alter shots at the rim. He just wouldn't have the offensive game. So if you give me P.J. Washington and somebody that you could go to 100% when you needed a bucket down low, I'd take P.J. Yeah, that's it's interesting to me because talent-wise and, and actual production, I think – you, there's no way you could go against a, P, a junior P.J. Washington. I mean, P.J., at the end of his sophomore year was – I mean, you would literally toss the ball to him down low and, and just say, make something happen, and he would make it happen. I mean, he was, he was a, a walking bucket, walking double-double. Um, you know, he, that level of production is, is just so tough to beat. Getting that as a, as a junior would be just even, even more ridiculous. But you think of – the Nick Richards story and kind of his growth and how he got to this. I think it's been so refreshing getting that moment and what it could, what it could mean for guys like EJ and what it can mean for players in the future for Calipari and his pitch. Um, I think that in itself, just seeing the massive growth that he's, he's had, I think that's what makes it so tough. I'd probably still lean PJ, but it's closer than I thought because I'm such a Nick Richards fan. Uh, moving on, Justin Tucker uh, says, wow, where to start? Thoughts on Greg Brown? Still the same? Texas question mark? Yes. We getting Hardy's brother. Uh, interesting. We it, it depends on what Emmanuel quickly does. Uh, think the COVID stuff could push. Right, what? Time out. Just came to me. Y'all ever watched wrestling? Uh, loosely when I was younger. 
they would have to if they played together in Kentucky, they would have to do something with the Hardy Bros. <laughs> like they would have to like grow their hair out and like jump off of stuff during uh, Midnight Madness. <laughs> uh, I I wholeheartedly agree. That would be a lot of fun. Um, think the COVID stuff could push some reclass guys to do it. I.e. Paolo. I still don't think Paolo will will do it. But man, his his situation is the most interesting because I've said all, all along that. That you know he's a he's a seventeen year old kid. At one point he he could wake up one get one day and go, you know what, I'm I'm ready to go to I'm ready to go to college. I'm ready to to try this out. But now that he's not gonna get any of these you know end of year stuff, you know he might be valuing that that senior year of high school even more because he missed out at the end of his junior junior year. So I, I don't know. I'm still I'm still going to say very highly unlikely that that Paolo does even though I think he's talented enough to do it and if if he were to he'd he'd be an immediate starter right away. Um not counting on it. What happens if Hagens and Quickly come back? I I just I don't envision a scenario where that is even plausible. Um so yeah, well are you do you guys agree with all those above points? Yes. <laughs> uh I do, and if Hagen's and, and quickly both come back, then you've got a serious log jam in the backcourt. Yeah, it'd be a good, it could be, a, it'd be a good log jam. But you uh, know, I think even like Calipari, it, it, you know, he, he was talking about the, you know, the the vote on the seniors being able to return, and you know, he said, and you got to remember, I think coaches are going to vote their interest. I think if you're Bruce Pearl. And they and he's starting four seniors. Which way do you think he's gonna vote? Yeah. And but you know Calipari's looking at this, and he said, "Look, man, this thing could have some ramifications that you know we're really not comfortable with." And I think, yeah, he would like to have him back, but I think he he's he's trying to figure out exactly the roster right now. So you you could imagine if you turn around and and you know obviously you've got a you, you've got a good team, but man, I mean, where do you put everybody? Yeah. Yeah, it it would be a tough dynamic, but um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, next question from Kentucky men's basketball, Kentucky MBB underscore. Not sure, not just a, a question, but a statement. Not sure if anybody has told you, but Hagen's went live this morning, and Amari Hardy uh, added in the group in the in the chat and said, "See you soon." This is probably nothing. Just thought it was interesting. Huh, that is very interesting that Amari Hardy would say something like see you soon to a guy that we have been writing off as as an NBA uh as an NBA likely. Um do you guys make anything of it? Travis, is there anything uh, interesting about that? You will drive yourself mad trying to decipher <laughs> 18 to 22 year old or even high, high school is even worse, but college athletes Instagram and Twitter post, um, you will feel like the dude in the shining, which is what I already feel like being quarantined. <laughs> but yeah, you will drive yourself absolutely mad. Cause I mean, it's kind of like Lynn Bowden stuff. Everybody's looking, always looking into what Lynn Bowden had to tweet and 99% of the time it meant nothing. And these people know they have a lot of eyes on them. Everybody knows who they are. So, I mean, they're, they're playing, they're having fun, even if it means nothing. So, um, who's going to be the, so this is from Adam, you to Adam, you 24 seven, who's going to be the first 2021 recruit to commit to Kentucky? Uh, Jaden Hardy. Do you guys agree? I would say so. David. I like sounds, I sounds good to me. 
<laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, let's see. Which big, this is from Jim B, Jimcat40. Which bigs do you think we will land for next year? Um, I think Paolo is likely. I think, um, <coughs> like we like we just talked about, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with guys like Isaiah Jackson and Lance Lance Ware and um, you know Keon Brooks. If we if Kentucky gets all three of those guys returned or two of them, you only need one more guy outside of uh, outside of um, Paolo Banchero. So at that point, you, w- would we look at? at Grad transfers. We, we, yeah. Oh, that's that's the one. That's the answer. I completely even, even forgot about that. Yeah. That Brandon Hundley Hatfield will will be at Kentucky in twenty twenty one. I you know that actually almost makes me reconsider my first twenty twenty one recruit to commit to Kentucky. Is it going to be Jaden or is it going to be Huntley Hatfield first? Travis, what do you think? I think that they have similar odds. Um, I know that UK is really treating him like a 2021 recruit, not even 2022 is actual class. Yeah. Talking about uh, Huntley Hatfield. But yeah, I think that, I think they both have similar odds and I, neither one would shock me really. Yeah. yeah that, I think that you, you hit, hit the nail on the head with that. I think that's, those are your two bigs for, for next year on top of most likely Isaiah Jackson and Lance Ware. I, I, I think I, I think I could envision a scenario where Keon Brooks leaves after, after next year. I think he's going to have a, have a big jump and he'll, he'll be able to, to make that happen. Um, uh, one, one thing I, let me jump in quickly. I, you know, I, even on that last question about who they could sign first, you know, that was a name that came into my mind uh, because he, but he's 2022, but he could reclass up. And I think we've said it on here. Um, even with guys returning, I, I think this far away from signing day on those classes, you probably already got a really good idea of some early guys that, that are going to be Kentucky Wildcats that we haven't had in a while. So, you know, you talk about guys coming back and, and guys like, like Hardy and like Hatfield that you feel really comfortable about, you know, as, as joining, uh, this could be one of, like I said, could be one of the less stressful uh, recruiting classes that uh, Kentucky's had in a while. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. Um, going down the list, um, what college basketball realist uh, says, with the likelihood of the instant transfer rule being passed for this coming year, is there anyone you all have heard or anyone you see likely uh, as a possibility that is not a grad transfer? That's, that I don't think is – even on, I mean, I I don't even know how Calipari would even go about that process yet because a the rule hasn't even been passed, um, and with the uncertainty with EJ Montgomery, you know, him likely coming back, but still not officially, he's going to still try, uh, he's going to put his name in and, and see. There's just so much uncertainty that I don't even think UK is at that level yet, which is which is why it makes sense about, um why we haven't heard any any public interest from from big man i think that's kind of the only way to really answer that one um i think we're going through and i think we've we've answered most of these these questions which is good because we have once again run over on time that has become our specialty but after last week we i think you know missing last week i think we deserve it so um any final thoughts david no just everybody uh and man, everybody be safe, stay in. And I know the easiest thing to do, in the world to do is, um, 
it starts warming up. I know here in Tennessee, it's supposed to be the sun's out now. It's supposed to be in the 80s the next two days. And uh, people will want to go out and, 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 and you know, uh, mix and mingle. Don't do that. And, and uh, I, I know here in Tennessee, um, the by far the highest percentage of individuals who have tested positive have been teenagers and people in their 20s. So, uh, you know, be, be smart. Um, Travis. It's like David said, everybody take care of yourselves, take care of those around you. Yeah. Uh, love, you know, hug on your loved ones or hug them from afar. If you're self quarantining, tell them you love them at the very least, send them a text send them, you know, give them a call. Um, it's, it's tough. You know, I don't know if you guys saw Carl, Carl Anthony Towns and his, his message last night after his mother was diagnosed with, with coronavirus and and the fact that she's been put under a, a, um, a medically induced coma it's it's tough I mean it, there's a lot of the this is kind of hitting home for a lot of people and just you know use this as an opportunity to reach out to people close to you and tell them you love them and uh, and um, just be safe don't don't be stupid do, and do you guys know anybody that has it I do not not personally no I I, I know of um a, a lady I know here, uh, there's a girl that she went to college with and her husband's in critical condition with it. And I would say they're probably in their early thirties, mid thirties. So, uh, you know, uh, scary thing. Yeah. It's very scary. Um, real quickly, uh, David, where can fans find your work? Uh, cats illustrated, um, and, uh, coach David Sisk on twitter.com. We've been interviewing, uh, they, the signees, their high school coaches. We're also doing um, getting into the round of 16 where we're doing great games. Kentucky's uh, passed in that round, and uh, we are at the 92 Kentucky UMass game with John Calipari, Coach UMass. We'll have that coming up tonight, and uh, probably looking at a Joe B. Hall, Bobby Knight matchup starting tomorrow. So. I, I really like going back and looking at these old games. Wow. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Travis, same same question. Yeah, like like David said, you can find my work at, alongside his at Cats Illustrated. He's been doing a phenomenal job with those high school coach pieces. And you can get a free 60-day trial now to the site. Uh, check out Justin Rowland's Twitter. I've, I've retweeted on my Twitter as well. Um, you can find my other podcast, the Cat Scan Podcast with a K on Twitter at CatScanPod, also with a K, of course. And last night we interviewed 2021 football commit, uh, just committed a couple days ago, Kaya Sharon, and there's some good stuff there. And then you find me on Twitter at TravGraph underscore Rivals. Well, you can find me as well on uh, Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR via email uh, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. And with that, we will be back next week for another Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Yeah,